Jay Sigurd here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. Jay Sigurd here. Thanks for joining me on one more podcast. We are headed into part 11 of our series on the topic of creation versus evolution. We are covering tons of great information. I trust that it's been an encouragement to you and maybe a little bit eye-opening. I think there's a lot of cool stuff that we're discussing in this series. This podcast might actually be a little shorter than normal because I don't want to add too much and run out of time to get to some important issues. So we'll see when it wraps up, but I do want to finish what we started at the end of last podcast because it's just super, super cool stuff. But again, make sure you subscribe to these podcasts so you can be alerted each week when the new ones come out. And also, if you could give us a five-star review, that helps us greatly getting the word out to more and more people. So what are we doing now? We're continuing to discuss the idea of mutations and the challenge that they propose to the whole idea of Darwinian evolution. Again, defining evolution, we're not just talking about change. We are talking about non-living molecules coming together to form a living cell, which then change itself into every other life form on this planet over millions and millions and millions and millions of years. And they talk about natural selection working on random mutation that does all this. Uh, again, it's called the Neo-Darwinian Synthesis. We've talked about natural selection already. We've hit quite a bit about mutations. We started talking about some, some of the most fascinating things that I know about DNA last time. So we will pick up there in just a second. But again, if anyone listening has missed some of the prior podcasts, mutations, our changes in the hereditary molecule DNA, the DNA coiled up ladder, the rungs on the ladder are called nucleotides, and that's where the information lies, the sequence of these rungs. And mutations are deletions or duplications or substitutions of this information. So you take some nucleotides, you delete something, you make some extra ones, or you take some out and put different ones in there. Those are the types of occurrences we see with mutations. And we have to ask, is that going to make things better or worse? We've been examining that. And according to UC Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley, mutations are essential to evolution. They're the raw material of genetic variation. And without mutations, evolution could not occur. So mutations are really, really important for Darwinian evolution but we've been seeing that these mutations are deleterious or bad. Again, sometimes they try to say, well, they're only slightly bad. Yeah, that's true of a lot of them. And that's actually a problem because they accumulate. We covered that previously, including the Russian scientists saying, why have we not died a hundred times over? Because of these things are accumulating. It's getting worse and worse. And then last time I introduced the topic somewhat of intelligent design because what we're discussing with DNA would fall under that category, but I didn't delve into it in great depth and will not be doing that in this episode either. We will be getting to that as a separate episode. But in doing so, I talked about giving presentations to young kids, grade schoolers, and that I, I wanted to come up with some very, very simple analogies to help them understand that there's evidence of design in the world that we're living in 
I mentioned the example of seeing a hammer in the woods and being able to conclude, yeah, that didn't happen by a branch breaking off a tree and minerals coming from a rock, you know, forming the head on that stick. Someone made the hammer. They designed it, made it, and they or someone else left it in the woods. Then if you saw a cell phone, well, cell phone's even more complex. So if someone made that hammer, certainly someone made the cell phone. And then we talked about DNA stepping it way, way, way up. If the hammer and the cell phone required a designer, it should be a no-brainer that someone designed the DNA as well. We talked about shells on a beach. We talked about sandcastles. I'll skip that for now. I did share one other story that's probably worth repeating that someone at one of my events uh, was a big-time skeptic, and they were not real happy afterwards, and they were talking to me at the table, and they made the bold claim that there's no evidence for creation. So I just asked, well, what was it that I just presented for 45 minutes about the DNA and the nucleotides and mutations and all that? And then they claim, well, there's, there's no scientific evidence. And then I asked them, well, what would you accept as scientific evidence, what would that look like in your mind? What would you have to see for you to say, wow, okay, yeah, that didn't happen by accident? And he had no examples. And again, if you can't even give an example of what you're expecting to see, how do you know it doesn't exist? You, you have to have criteria to make claims. And too often people will make a very bold claim with nothing to back it up. So when someone makes a statement that there's no evidence for creation, you should ask that question. What what would you need to see? What would qualify in your mind as evidence of design, something that just couldn't happen on its own? And if they see something incredibly complex and they deny that it was designed, then they have incredible faith, incredibly strong faith, and an incredibly blind faith because it goes against everything that we're learning about biochemistry and biology and DNA and, and all these things. And so I need to make one more point that I made a long time ago earlier this year. Um, there are no silver bullets. What does that mean? Well, the silver bullet is the ultimate thing that would I don't know. I don't know if it was originally for killing a werewolf. I'm kind of forgotten now where it, how it originated. But the silver bullet, the concept is it's the one thing that's going to deliver the ultimate punch. And so a lot of times I will even meet other Christians who say, you know, I don't have time to learn all the stuff that you know and everything. Just give me the one thing. In essence, the silver bullet. They can memorize one thing that any time they run into a skeptic, they're just going to pull that silver bullet out or use that and that'll be the end of discussion. They want the easy way out. The silver bullet doesn't exist for anyone, for any topic, really. I mean, in, in reality, with the types of topics we're talking about, it's not an issue against creation or the Bible or Christianity. It could be used for evolution, too. There's no silver bullet in evolution where they'd share the one thing and then, hey, case closed, we're just done talking. It doesn't exist and a lot of that has to do with the fact that facts don't speak for themselves. They must be interpreted. And the way you interpret facts is by using what you already believe to look at the new facts and come to some conclusion as to what you think about that based on what you already believe. What you already believe, that's your worldview. That's what you chose to believe to begin with. You got to start somewhere. That's how these podcasts started. I explained our ministry, the starting point project. Everyone starts somewhere with their belief systems. And then whatever it is you choose to start with, 
you will then use that subsequently going forward to make sense of everything else you run into. So there's no silver bullet because everyone's going to try to explain away whatever they're seeing as why it's not evidence against their belief. And sometimes whatever they come up with might make perfect sense. Other times it is the biggest stretch in the world to justify your belief system in spite of what you're being presented here. So there are no silver bullets. If there were, what I'm presenting next is one. I mean, it just absolutely should be one. The reason it's not because we're not dealing with an academic debate. Ultimately, this is a spiritual issue. People will believe what they want to believe. If the evidence supports them, they will brag about that. and They'll say, I'm right, and here's why. If the evidence continues to go against their system, they will explain it away, avoid it, get angry, resort to ad hominem attacks, where it's where they're attacking the other person rather than the argument, all sorts of way around that when someone is challenging your view and you don't have a response. So with that backdrop, let's continue on our discussion. I was explaining that one of the biggest reasons that Darwinian evolution cannot work, cannot turn a single-celled organism all the way into a human being is because of how the information is structured on the DNA. I only had time for one example last time. I'll briefly repeat that and then jump into the new ones. So the first example I mentioned was that when you read a book in English, we read from left to right. I mentioned that with our DNA, you could not only read it, much of it in one direction, you could also read it backwards but you actually have a separate set of instructions when you read it backwards. So you can read a segment of the DNA in one direction in a sense, and it's a very, very complex set of instructions to code to make certain proteins, very complex proteins that carry out a certain function in your body. Now you read that same set of instructions, but you just read it backwards. It's a completely different set of instructions coding to make completely different proteins carrying out a completely different function in your body unbelievably complex information system. There's no way that particles interacting in nature could create a message system that you could read both forwards and backwards. And even if you had a system that complex, when you copy it over time and make random changes to it, which is what evolution is, you will not be improving it over time. You will be destroying it faster and faster. That was the first example that I shared. And again, keep in mind, if you're thinking about what's taught in our public school system, evolution, Big Bang, evolution, all that, they are not saying, well, of course, God, like, you know, created stuff, and then he backed off, and then it expanded in the Big Bang and formed the universe, and then God kind of stepped in on one of the planets and got life going, and then he backed off again, and then nature took over. That's not what they're teaching. They're teaching that everything basically can be explained by natural causes. So the Big Bang came out of nowhere for no reason, produced the universe, and then life somehow formed on this planet from dead chemicals. And once we had a living cell, it just kept copying itself and it got better and better and better and turned into you and me. That's what they're teaching. And that is all particles interacting with each other because there's no intentionality. There's no purpose. There's no intelligence, no design. It's just particles banging together. So keep in mind, Particles banging together 
can it account for what you're going to hear about, in, including the forwards and backwards uh, direction messages we have in the DNA? That was the first example. I covered that last time. Now we're into new stuff. We not only have forwards and backwards messages in our DNA, we have overlapping information in our DNA. And again, the visuals and my PowerPoint help tremendously with this. So again, if you go to the startingpointproject.com, on the homepage, click on streaming videos, free streaming videos, and then find evolution, probable or problematic. Find that presentation. It's a two-part. Uh, in the second part of the series, you will see visually what I am describing here in this podcast. So picture in your mind the phrase, I like Choco later that evening. It's kind of weird. I like Choco later that evening. The reason it's weird is it's actually two phrases that overlap each other. I like chocolate. And then the phrase later that evening. You can overlap those two phrases so they share four letters, L-A-T-E. The first one ends in that. I like chocolate. It ends in L-A-T-E. The second phrase starts with L-A-T-E, later that evening. You can overlap these two phrases so it spells I like Choco later that evening. It's an over two overlapping messages. Now, if you were to introduce a wonderful random mutation, which again is what drives evolution, that's what they tell us, it's mutations are the only thing that provides a raw material for evolution to work. That's where you're going to get new information by mutating existing information. So let's take our weird phrase, overlapping phrases, I like Choco later that evening, and we'll, in the, where they overlap, L-A-T-E, we'll take the A out of L-A-T-E, take that out and put an, an R in there instead. That's a substitution mutation. If you do that, it doesn't spell I like chocolate, and it doesn't spell later that evening. One random change messed up two messages because they overlap each other. Well, that's what we've discovered about our DNA. Much of these messages overlap each other, but they don't overlap each other just by a few letters here and there. They will overlap up to entire chapters of instructions. That is mind-boggling. Imagine trying to write a chapter of complex instructions and then write another one, but then get them to kind of overlap each other and still make sense. It can't be done. Again, you can't even program a computer to do that, but that's what we see in our DNA. Particles banging together in nature can't create that. That screams design. But the challenge for evolution, the challenge for particles banging together, gets worse than that. We not only have forwards and backwards messages and overlapping information, we also have spliced information. So we're going to go back to our strange phrase, I like Choco later that evening. And I'm going to pull a few segments out. I'm going to splice out some letters from that phrase and put them down below and put them together. So we're going to take some of the existing letters and just make copies of them and put them together. So I'm going to take out letters on I and then an L-I-K-E and then a, an, an H somewhere from chocolate and then an E-R and then an H-A-T and they're, they're letters. This works better with the PowerPoint. But if I pull these certain letters out and put them below, I can put those letters that I spliced out together and it spells I like her hat. That's called a spliced message. So we have the two overlapping messages, I like chocolate later that evening. 
And then when I splice out a few of those letters here and there, I can put them together and we get an additional third piece of information. I like her hat. It's a spliced message. This is what we've discovered about her DNA, that much of it can not only be read forwards and backwards and overlapping, but they're spliced messages. So you, you got all the normal information, but now you can take chunks from here and there. In fact, here's the analogy. It's not just a few letters that get spliced out of her DNA. Picture a biochemistry textbook. Very complex. You could read it from cover to cover, and you would have just learned a lot of information. Now go back and find long sentences here, short paragraphs there, and long sentence here, and just go throughout the book and splice them out and put them together and have an additional chapter of instructions. That's impossible. You cannot write a book to do that, but that's what we're seeing in our DNA, spliced information. Again, introducing random mutations to that will not only mess up that overlapping sentence to begin with, but when you make random changes to it, now when you try to do your splicing, you messed up the spliced message. And in my PowerPoint, I think I uh, delete the H that's in chocolate so it doesn't spell I like chocolate, but it also now doesn't spell I like her hat because I deleted one of the letters. The mutations will not improve this. It's going to make it worse faster and faster because you're messing with so many messages. But the challenge for evolution and particles banging together over time gets worse than that because we also have embedded information in our DNA. This one's even tougher again visually, you know, bear with me in the podcast. I'm going to read a sentence that I made up. Here's the sentence. Can you show Mike Owen checks from Oliver's latest facts and set it on the desk? Strange sentence, but when you write that sentence out and you circle every eighth letter and then you put those letters below and you put them together, it spells chocolate. There's a theme going on here. It's my talk. I can do that. <laughs> um, this is an embedded message. So you have the main sentence. Can you show Mike Owen? Checks from Oliver's latest facts and set it on the desk. But you also have the embedded message taking every eighth letter and putting those together. This is what we've discovered about our DNA. Not only the regular messages and the splice information overlapping forwards and backwards, but now we have embedded information as well. If you make a random mutation to the main sentence, you mess up that sentence, but you also mess up the embedded information. Because if you delete something, it shifts all the letters over one spot, and all the eighth letters aren't going to be something that spells chocolate. Or if you put an extra letter in there, or you change the letters and all, you are messing up the embedded message. So the changes are going to make, make things worse and worse and worse. But the challenge for evolution and particles banging together gets even worse than that. We have encrypted information in our DNA. I don't know if I mentioned it before. I might have. I actually had three interviews with the CIA to work in their cryptographic analysis division. A very creepy story for some other time. I'm going to skip it for now. It was interesting but kind of creepy. Um, but cryptographic analysis, it's crypt, encrypting messages. It can be very, very complex, and we use it like especially times of war and communicating back and forth. You want to encrypt the message. Well, we do that with our computers all the time, send messages in an encrypted format. So if someone intercepts it, it's just gobbledygook. It's nothing. You need the encryption key to figure out what it really means. 
Well, we see that kind of information in our DNA. So in my PowerPoint, I have a message that goes across the screen, but it's just looks like random letters going across. It's nothing. But then I show an encryption key, meaning everywhere there's an A up there, it's really an R. Everywhere there's a B, it's a W. Everywhere there's a C, it's an H, and, and so on. Well, if you make all those substitutions from that key, the phrase that made no sense going across the screen turns into the phrase, this is an encrypted message. It's kind of cool to see it visually play out that way. But it's encryption. We see that in our DNA. Very quickly, let's just take a second to figure out what would it take? What would it take for particles banging together in nature to create an encrypted message system? Forget about all the other layers of information, just the encrypted information. Keeping in mind there's no God, no creator, no designer, just particles banging together over time. What would they have to do as they're banging together to create an encrypted message system? Well, number one, they would have to develop a language system using symbols. So if you have three sticks and you put them together a certain way, like an upside-down V with a line going across the middle, that's an A. So, so shapes coming together that way, these particles are going to decide that's an A. Then some other shapes get together, that's a B, and then a C. You have to create an, an entire language system using symbols by particles banging together. Secondly, you have to be able to create and define words. So particles banging together have to decide that L-O-C-K is going to represent this thing that we call a lock that can fasten two things together. They'll have to decide that. They have to create and define words. In fact, they will have to create an entire dictionary of words and definitions if you're going to have an encrypted message system by particles banging together. Thirdly, you have to be able to write meaningful sentences and paragraphs, which, guess what, requires rules of grammar. How do particles banging together in nature create rules of grammar? But that's what you need. Fourthly, you have to be able to establish the encryption system with the key that I mentioned. The A's are really W's and so on. Fifthly, you have to create a system that does the coding and the decoding of this encryption. And then lastly, you have to develop the ability to read and carry out the instructions or the whole thing is useless. There is not a scientist on the planet who can even begin to explain how particles banging together in nature can do any of these things, but yet they are all there in our DNA. To me, it's just fascinating. Two more really quick, two more levels. We have 3D information in our DNA. This one's even challenging to do with PowerPoint um, because when our DNA makes proteins that carry out all the functions in our body, the, the proteins are not these little mini ladders. They are very highly complex three-dimensional folds that if they don't get folded just right, they're useless and they're, they're deconstructed and the components are reused. So proteins are highly, highly complex three-dimensional folds in the ribosome and all that. I won't get into all those details, but what I did in my PowerPoint is I took seven English words, sales, process, solution, 
analysis, teamwork, vision, objectives. I took those words and I stacked them on top of each other, going from top of the screen to the bottom of the screen, but I kind of offset them. I stacked them a certain way. And when you stack those words a certain way, you can see going up and down an additional word that appears, the word success, because of how the letters line up the way that I stacked them. So obviously, if you don't stack them just right, you don't get that word success. Obviously, if you change the letters, you delete them, you add additional letters, you substitute whatever, you also mess up that additional piece of information that appears up and down now, in a sense, in a three dimension format. Well, that's what we have in the DNA. You've got portions of the DNA in these proteins that are opposite ends of each other. But when it gets folded, one end is now right on top of the other end. It gets folded right on top of it. And now going up and down, you can read the protein that way. There's additional information because of how it's folding. It is unbelievably complex. And again, you make changes to it, don't fold it right, you destroy that information, you don't improve it. And then lastly, there's actually a time factor. The structure can change with time and change the information that is read and expressed over time. So at one point in time, it's folded a certain way into doing certain things and you get certain information out, but then it can change structure over time and you have a different set of information. I won't go into that in much detail right now to save time. But recapping this whole thing, particles banging around in nature had to create an information system that you can read forwards and backwards and overlapping information and spliced information and embedded information and encrypted information and 3D information and information that changes with the structure over time. Anyone want to try to explain how particles did that over time? This is unbelievably complex. To me, it just screams intelligence beyond imagination. And I think it makes God smile to throw that out there. And then he allows us to discover it. And we're like, this is incredible. And God's probably thinking, that's nothing. I could have made it even more complex, but then you wouldn't have understood it at all. So I had to kind of dumb it down for you. I always jokingly say, I think it took every bit of God's strength to only make the universe this big. He had to really hold himself back, and it just gives us a glimpse of who he is. So again, if that doesn't count for evidence of design, please, 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 seriously, do me a favor. Give me an example. Describe something to me that if you saw that, that would be evidence of design. And I'm being completely sincere and serious. I haven't yet had anyone give me an example. In fact, every single time I've given this presentation in in full, I've never yet had a skeptic address what I presented. They'll talk about something else. Well, how come there's all the evil in the world today? What about the violence in the Old Testament? What about dinosaurs? What do I, They'll bring up all these other things, which are interesting topics, and I don't mind talking about them. But I say, can we put that on hold for a second, and can you address what I actually presented tonight, what you actually heard. You know, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe you can explain to me how that can just happen by accident. It's not evidence of design. Maybe I missed something. I'm open to that. I have yet to have anyone address it directly. So, and that's not an arrogant statement. That's just, that's just a fact. That's been my experience. So I will 
wind down and end with this example. Again, we talk about Richard Dawkins. And usually when I mention him, I tell people, I honestly appreciate Richard Dawkins because he's he's pretty honest with what he actually believes. He's an atheist. He's pretty forward and outspoken. And I appreciate hearing that directly from him. I heard recently that he's struggling with Alzheimer's, which is so sad for anyone. My, my dad died and he had Alzheimer's. So I'm sad that Richard Dawkins has Alzheimer's. I Honestly, I'm hoping that his mind stays strong enough, long enough to hear the truth of God's word one more time. I hope on his deathbed, he places his trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior and can spend eternity with God, even though he spent his whole life denying God's existence. That's the graciousness of God. That would be so cool. I'd love to meet Richard Dawkins in heaven. That'd be so, so cool. I think meeting Jesus would be even cooler, but um, that would that would make me happy. So, share one story. There was a documentary called Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. It was hosted by Ben Stein, a political writer and, and kind of a nut. He's funny, very funny guy. He was in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If you saw that, Bueller, Bueller, you know what I'm talking about. But so he hosted this thing and he did a great job. This was not a documentary about creation or the Bible at all. This was not a documentary against evolution. It had one main point, that if you are a scientist and you dare to doubt evolution or to say you believe that there's evidence for intelligent design, you're toast. You're done. You probably lose your teaching position, your research position, your whatever it is you're doing. You just, you don't dare express that view. And he did a wonderful job of fleshing that out in this documentary. The one portion I'm going to draw your attention to and then close is he was interviewing Richard Dawkins towards the end of this documentary. And he asked Richard, he said, is it possible, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, he said, is it possible that someday we might discover something that is so, so complex that it couldn't possibly have, uh, you know, developed on its own, that it, it must have been designed? And Richard Dawkins partially to his credit, started to say yes. I thought he was going to deny it right away, but he said, no, it's, it is possible that someday, meaning, oh, we haven't seen it yet, but theoretically, we could possibly see something that was so complex that it must have been designed. However, that's where things went south. He said it's possible that it was designed. However, it would have had to have been designed by some other life form out in the universe, which they themselves came about through an evolutionary process. Now, I was speaking to, uh, at a Christian school years ago, and they had just finished watching this documentary. And so I got up to speak, and I asked the students, uh, did anything strike you about Richard Dawkins' response to Ben Stein? And they all looked at me like a deer in headlights, which is what I would have done when I was their age. They couldn't think of anything. I said, think about this. Richard Dawkins, really intelligent scientist, who's an atheist, says, we might see something that is so complex, it just, you know, in a sense, screams design. We can't get around it. This thing could not happen by accident. It must have been designed. However, it would have been designed by a higher 
meaning more complex, more intelligent life form, that they themselves came about through an evolutionary process. But wait a minute. If what we're seeing here is so complex, evolution can't account for it, how is it that this more complex life form, they came about through evolution? If they could have come out through evolution, the simpler thing we're looking here on Earth certainly would have come out by, uh, about by evolution. But if what we're seeing here cannot come about through evolution, something even more complex certainly didn't come about through evolution. All he did is he pushed it further out, somewhere else in the universe, somewhere where we can't ever see or test or you know experiment with or have evidence of. It's just, it happened somewhere else. Okay, you can say that, but you have just stepped outside of science. You're talking philosophically at that point, which is fine, but you can't call it science anymore. And to me, that screams rejection of the obvious. I think Richard Dawkins not only doesn't believe in God, he doesn't really want God to exist. He wouldn't be satisfied if there really was a God because that God wouldn't do things the way that he, Richard, would do them. If Richard was God, he would do things differently. That's how he knows God doesn't exist because if there was a God, he wouldn't do it the way he apparently did with all this you know, garbage going around us and evil and suffering and That'd be a whole other topic that I can address in the future, but many atheists are coming from that standpoint. There isn't a God. I mean, there's no scientific evidence against God. There can't be because God is a spirit being. He's not a physical being, and science deals with physical things, so they can never come up with an experiment that says, okay, God doesn't exist. Covered that earlier on this year. Um, so they're not claiming that they know God doesn't exist. They're just, they just say, well, there's not enough evidence to come to that conclusion. And if there really is a God in current conditions, well, he's not doing things the way that we would do it. That's kind of the mindset. And I get that because I think this is a spiritual issue and the Bible addresses that in Romans chapter one, which I've talked about a little bit in the past. So anyway, I thought this was going to be slightly shorter, but I rambled on again. I'm guessing that a lot of what you just heard about the DNA you've never heard before. And I'll finish with this. Ask yourself, did what you just hear does it make more sense in the light of particles just banging together? There's no God. We just There was a big bang out of nowhere and, and all that happened. Or might, might that be pretty good evidence that there's an amazing God out there who designed all this and we're just scratching the surface with what we're seeing. There's so much more to it. You have to answer that question for yourself and how you answer that can change your eternity. I'm not just doing this to have some interest, interesting trivia this has to do with people's eternity. If there is no God, then do whatever you want. Because when you die, you're dead and that's it. Nothing matters. Survival of the fittest. Do what you want. You don't owe anything to anyone. You might want to be nice. That's fine. But don't tell everyone else they have to be nice. If there's no God, there's no such thing as good or evil. It's just things just are. So that's one concept. The other concept is there is a God. And not only did he create everything, which we've been talking about, he revealed himself in two major ways. Uh, one, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to be on this earth, to die on a cross and rise again after being dead for three days. We'll talk about that sometime. And secondly, he's revealed himself in his word, the Bible. And there's so much evidence for that. I did a series on that with this podcast and on our website. So if that's true, what you conclude makes all the difference for your eternity. Will you spend eternity with that amazing God who loves you and sacrificed his son for you? Or will you deny him and then you'll 
you'll get what you wanted. You didn't want God and you will spend eternity without God, but it's not a pretty picture. So I don't want to be a downer. I just want to tell you the truth because I care. And that's why we're doing these podcasts. So anyway, thanks for hanging in with me on the series. We're, we're going to keep going. There are other things that we could talk about, but I did make it through what I've been teasing, the stuff that makes your head spin in a cool way. I got through that finally. Uh, we will continue on. We still have to talk about beneficial mutations because they'll scream, there are beneficial mutations and that's what drives evolution. In a sense, yeah, there are beneficial mutations and you will be surprised as to why they don't help at all. And there's a bunch of other things we'll talk about. Could God have used evolution? We'll talk about human evolution and all the ape men. We'll talk about intelligent design and a bunch of other things. So we have a lot in store. Thanks for hanging in there with me. We'll see you next time. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and The Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.